Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be De Beer. Well, welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show. Uh, I won't say for another week, for the first time in a long time, and without doubt, under unusual circumstances. We don't want to dwell too much on what's happening, but what we want to do is give us all an opportunity to get lost in some fantastic memories of rugby. As we sort of said on social media, what do you do when you're a rugby podcast and there's no rugby to podcast about? Well, you go back in time. And what we're doing today, we're joined by the normal uh, crew of, of Matt and Hugh, and we'll introduce them in a sec. But we, uh, we've decided to bring up classic matches of rugby, normally Wallaby games. We might sneak in the odd um, parochial provincial match in there as well. But we're going to go back and look at those classic matches, review them with fresh eyes, um, try and get some uh, interesting insight onto it, and just bring back those memories. It's a, it's a great chance for us to, to remember when um, rugby was the most important thing in the world. So joining us, as per usual, is Matt Rowley and Hugh Cavill. How are you, cha- chaps? Matt, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm very well, mate. Good to be back in the in the saddle. And yeah, that's wow. Like like, like our uh, guest tonight, I hadn't actually watched this game probably for like about 20 years. Um, so yeah, the chance to have a look at it, like you say, through fresh eyes was amazing. And Hugh, you too, mate. It's been a while since you've watched this one. Oh yeah, it has. And, and, and have you even told everyone what the game is no. yet, Reg? It's uh, well, well, I'll leave it, it to that to say that uh, it, I dare say it almost. I, I think it lived up to its billing. But uh, let, let's let's get into it. Well, I suspect the title of the podcast might give it away somewhat, but <laughs> we are going to take you back to the 15th of July, the year 2000 at uh, Stadium Australia, as it was known back then. This was the year of the 2000 Olympic Games, which would kick off about, uh, I think, three, two or three months later, two months later, I think, in fact, almost to the day, I think. Um, and it's, this is known as, what is it, the greatest game ever? This is uh, the All Blacks versus the Wallabies, uh, the first Bledisloe of that year, Um uh, with New Zealand winning 39 to 35. Spoiler alert, guys, if you haven't seen it, but um, this was an epic, epic encounter. And, and, you know, I'm going to set a scene here, guys. I'd like to take you back to where you were at the time. Have a think about uh, your time where you watched the game and the situation there. We've got a special guest. We've got Dan Herbert on the show tonight. He's going to—he was actually in the game. Obviously, played outside centre for the Wallabies. He's got his own memories of the game. Um, and then we'll come back and have a ch- chat more about the match as well. So, so let's have a think about where we were back in 2000, guys. And I guess let's at the start of the season. Um, Wallabies were obviously world champions and won the World Cup the year before uh, in France, defeating France in that in that final. New Zealand had finished fourth, in fact, that obviously had that memorable loss, that amazing loss, 43 to 31 to France, and then actually lost the three um, third fourth playoff to South Africa, so they finished fourth, but still, um, you know, an amazing powerhouse. Uh, they these two teams had met a couple of times that year in '99. They'd that game in Auckland where the All Blacks won 34-15, which was a pretty interesting Wallaby outfit. They had Timmy Horan at 10 and Tian Strauss at number eight and John Wellborn featuring for the last time for the Wallabies at lock and Glenn Panaho at tight head prop. But uh, a couple of weeks later, I think about a month later in the rain, also at Stadium Australia, um, Australia fought back and won 28-7 in Sydney. So that was sort of leading into that year. I guess let's have a look at the Super Rugby season. So what was happening in 2000? It was Super 12, ran from February to May. 
The Brumbies, who were coached by Eddie Jones at the time, played the Crusaders in Canberra in the grand final, um, with the Crusaders winning 20 points to 19, and that was their third consecutive title. Um, the Reds, meanwhile, they were coached by John Connolly. That was his last year as coach. They finished seventh with six wins and five losses. Uh, while the Waratahs, who were coached by Ian Speed Kennedy in his one and only year as coach of the Waratahs, finished ninth, and they had uh, the, just the five wins and six losses. So very much rooted on the back of the uh, the success of the Brum- Brumbies. Um, I guess just looking at how things had changed that year from the year before. So the Wallabies coaching was pretty solid. What Rod McQueen was still in charge. Jeff Miller had been the assistant coach in the World Cup. He stood down, and would you believe it was Ewan McKenzie who was the, the assistant coach with uh, with Rod and Tim Lane still, who was there in 99. Um, for the All Blacks, John Hart had stood down or been stood down after Rugby World Cup. And Wayne Smith, had, who had coached the Crusaders to two titles in Super Rugby, was now the head coach. Um, and there's also a change at captain as well um, with Todd Blacker. Blackadder being the new captain. The All Blacks going into that game in Sydney had, had a massive win, I think 100 points win over Tonga and a couple of big wins over Scotland as well. So they were doing their usual start to the season. For the Wallabies, there's a few changes post-World Cup. Nothing too significant. I mean, we did lose a couple of props. Andrew Blades, the tight head in the World Cup final, retired in that game. And Dan Crowley, who uh, won his second World Cup title, retired as well. So prop depth depth was tested. Phil Kearns had obviously injured himself earlier in the World Cup and he would not play again. Um, And Tion Strauss would would not play again for the Wallabies. So a little bit of depth there, but more significantly in the very first game of that 2000 international series, Tim Horan, who was to play his last series of, was retiring at the end of the 2000 season, um, limped off uh, Ballymore in their first test against Argentina and would not play again. So a huge blow to miss out on uh, Tim Horan for the rest of that season. So for the uh, for the Wallabies, they played, uh, they played Argentina twice. A big win in Brisbane, 53 to 6, with Chris Latham starting at fullback, scoring four tries, and then a 32 to 25 win in Canberra, and then they backed that up with a 44 to 23 win over the Springboks in Melbourne to start the rugby championship, as it was back then. A, a few interesting names coming in, so you know, a few names to the to the Wallabies that year. Fletcher Dyson debuted at tight head prop, effectively coming in for Andrew Blades. Sam Cordingly, David Lyons, Troy Jarks all debuted in those first couple of games, mostly off the bench. It was interesting David Lyons' name there as a very young back rower. Um, Chris Latham started at fullback, so Matty Burke had injured his ankle uh, early in the Super Rugby season, so ironically uh, tackling Latham in a, in a state clash. Uh, and of course, Ben Tudin was also missing, had his own ankle injury at the start of the season, during the Super Rugby season. That was really a bit of the, the start of his major injury run uh, and tune, from tuning. We never really saw the best of him again. So what it meant is we needed to find a winger, but also with Berkey um, out, we needed to find a goal kicker. And who would be that man? But Sterling Mortlock in his first test appearance as well. So he was the ideal replacement on the wing. He'd, he topped the point scoring list for Super Rugby that season. So jumped straight on the wing and uh, started to kick goals, although he didn't kick um, goals in that first game versus Argentina, that 50-point win, but still set the record for the Wallabies in scoring 100 test points in his first seven tests. So he didn't even get a point that first test, but uh, in his subsequent six, he, he smashed 100 points out in pretty quick time. Um, and uh, I guess entering into that match, the only other significant uh, uh, I guess identity there was 
a young Andrew Walker, or not, not not so young, but a returning Andrew Walker to rugby, making his debut off the bench as well. So uh, pretty amazing. We talked about the uh, the record crowd. We haven't talked about that yet. The 109,874. Um, the Wallabies were going for their 11th straight win. Uh, it was a remarkable scene. Guys, can you remember it, Hugh? Can you remember? You're probably what still at school, junior school, where you were in bed at bed at this time. Was or? he bloody born yet? What was this? Yeah. <laughs> no, look, I I was 12, um, and I do remember watching this game. I think my parents were actually at the game. But you know what, Reg? It's funny. Like the the context of this game is is not only just in terms of rugby, but wider Australian society as well. You know, you got to think in 2000. I mean. It was almost peak Australia in so many ways. Like, mm. do you think it was sort of the economy was riding high and John Howard was going on walks in tracksuits and <laughs> we'd come off, you know, 99 where we won the Cricket World Cup yep. and the Rugby World Cup in the same year. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, the, these were the days where you'd go and, and we'd watch the swimming trials and, you know, Hackett and Thorpe going going stroke for stroke, um, you know, and Susie O'Neill and, and Samantha Riley and all of these sort of swimmers were, were really ha- were household names. And, and you know, we were about to have the Olympics and, and Sydney was just at its peak, you know. You had those big wings on on the stadium and, and, um, and, and uh, you know, that, that crowd and, it, and everything about it. You watch the game and, and it's, it's a throwback to a very different time and a very different place in some ways as to what, what Australia was. But, yeah, I, I mean, I was a young 12-year-old. Um, and remember watching this game, um, but but really didn't remember, you know, remember the broad strokes of it and remember being devastated when, you know, that, that your stomach, I do remember the feeling in the pit of my stomach when Jonah Lomu got the ball, you know, 20 metres out, and it, and it was inevitable that, that from there he was going to score and the All Bucks were going to win. Um, but I don't didn't, didn't remember the finer points of the game um, until watching it back. And, and um, yeah, it's just... Uh, it's it's an amazing time for rugby and an amazing time for for the sport and and Australia in general I think. What about you, Matt? What were your memories of this game? Can you remember how you watched it? Where? No, like I'm I'm yeah uh, worst I'm probably the worst out of the lot um, on this one. I know I would have been in the UK so um, and I got married in '99 so I know we had our own place and we had Sky Sports as it was over there so. We would have had it all on. I, I'm pretty sure I would have watched it. Um, can't see any reason why not. Um, either that or I would have gone to a Kiwi Mate of Mine's in London. And I have a sneaking suspicion I might have done that and taken along an old schoolmate. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, it's, it, like, like Herbie, those matches do become a bit of a blur, unfortunately. But, look, just as, to pick up on some comments on some of the things as you were running through there, Reg, yep. uh, like number one was like how much incredible talent like and, and depth there Nuts. was there. Nuts. Like, you know, to have those big names you just talked about out of a side and to have the, who you know, who we now know went on to be immortals kind of slotting in, um, some of them in their first tests and whatever else, quite amazing to see to see a Chris Latham, what is it, four tests in and yeah. Sterling Mortlock like one test in and these sorts of things, just incredible. And then the second one is that those run-in scores, um, you know, about the warm-up matches against Argentina and, yep. and, and stuff like that where we'd absolutely flog them. I, I remember those days. <laughs> they, feel, they, feel, they feel a long time ago. <laughs> they are they were um look we're going to get detail of the game soon i do want to recount my memories of this game so the year 2000 was special for me i was actually working in sydney 
for the Olympic Games. So it's all very much sport for me. I'd also recently uh, proposed to my now wife. Um, oh, she had moved back to Brisbane at this stage, and we were now saving money for our wedding, which would be on October 14, the year 2000. So about three months after this game, almost three months to the day. So all my mates, I was living at Frenchman's Road, Randwick. All my mates had gone to the game, and because of the you know the cost of Wallaby tickets at the time, I was at home by myself watching it because um, I'd saved money uh, on oh. the tickets. Um, oh. and was stomping around the house, yelling. One of my mates in particular texting me after every tie, every try, every All Black try, and then every Wallaby try. Um, it was amazing. It was an, an astounding experience. But I spent it by myself, yelling, yelling my head off. It was a, a very memorable. I can remember it very well. Well, looking back on it now, it's like it would have been better if you didn't get married and gone to the game. <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> don't tell me there's not a day I don't think about that. <laughs> uh, luckily, your um, wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so we're good. Yeah. No, no, she hates it. Um, all right, look, that's our memories of the game and setting the scene. I think uh, before we dig a little bit deeper in the game, having watched the review, uh, let's uh, introduce our special guest. So uh, I mentioned it uh, in, in the lead up. So we've got Dan Herbert on the podcast tonight. So Herbie was obviously um, uh, a barnstorming uh, outside centre, did play a little bit of inside centre for the Wallabies as well. This game was his 42nd test for Australia. It obviously been a feature of the Rugby World Cup uh, winning team in 99 um, and is a stalwart of the game. He, he's a long-term sports administrator, has recently been elected to the board of Rugby Australia, so we're thrilled to have him on his time um, and his insights in the game for a game that was uh, pretty much 20 years ago now. So um, thrilled for his time and uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Um, mate, such a memorable game. Let, let's take a step back before we get into some of your memories of the game, and we fully acknowledge it's a fair way away now. But, you know, entering an All Blacks first game of the season, the year, it had been a pretty decent run against the All Blacks. I think 3 0 in 98, the, 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 you split the series with them in 99, um, and then entering this match, it, it must have been a different feel going into a, an All Blacks encounter with some sort of level of, of positivity than it is for the boys at the moment. Ridge, I've been trying to uh, remember as best I can, but there's there's a lot of that that I don't remember going into the... Uh, I was saying earlier that that 99, 2000, 2001, there were just so many crazy games and so many close finishes, and... Uh, Looking back on it now, it was just a very special era to be involved in. But, I mean, a couple of things. I watched, uh, Matt actually shared a, a YouTube link to the game, and I've never watched it, but I actually sat down and watched it last night, as best you can on an iPhone, sort of scrolling through and, and with a pretty poor internet connection. But uh, And it did. I remember then sort of watching through, that's right, that happened in that game. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I missed a tackle on Justin Marshall, who scored in court twice, and that was... Uh, that was not such a great memory. Oh, you bought the uh, dummy, did you? I remember dummy. Yeah, I bought the dummy. <laughs> bought the dummy, and uh, so yeah. Anyway, I've had, I've had. Uh, there must have been a few people who watched that because I've had a few people remind me about all the mistakes I've made <laughs> in, my, uh, in my career. So, so thanks, God. <laughs> yeah, I think Fox Classics are doing you a favour by rerunning it a bit, yeah. so you might get a few more. Um, well, one of the interesting things when we had a quick catch up. Yeah. So, yeah, go on, no, All fun. No, no, all fun, all fun. Very fun, and it's enjoyable to watch. I just wish my kids had the slightest of interest in sitting down and watching it, but they uh, they couldn't care less. 
Uh, that's great. Well, you should see Morgan Turanui sitting his kids through all those classic games on, on Twitter at the moment. They're getting some great responses. But talk about the game in general. I remember you saying just how fun it was to play in. Yeah, it was. It was a... I remember that specific game, just probably one of the memories that stands out is I remember doing an interview after the game in the, in the dressing room. And it, we didn't have... Normally, if you, you, know, you lose a test, you're just devastated and you're sitting and sitting down with everyone and you're consoling each other. And and, uh, and that was one where it felt... It didn't feel like a loss. It didn't quite feel like a win, but it didn't feel like a loss either. And all of the people that you would interact normally after a game... You know, dealing with the press and, and other people connected to the team, they're normally really down when you lose as well. So you get that feeling uh, from them as you walk off and into the dressing room. But everyone was on such a high and the crowd was on such a high that uh, you felt like you were you were part of a... I don't know how to explain it. It wasn't a win, it wasn't a loss, but you felt that it was part of something quite special, even though uh, even though we ended up ended up going down in the, uh, in the last minute or two. But... It was, you know, looking back, and as I said, I watched it, I think, for the first time last night just on my iPhone, and, you know, it was, I think, 109,000 record crowd, yeah. uh, and and it was, you know, back in those days, the um, the stadium there got a great run of, uh, of test matches around that era, and uh, and it was nice to, you know, nice to, to be a part of that game, but I did, um, I did remember now, I... I Sold you a bit of a dummy wretch because I thought uh, I, I busted my ribs and I thought it was a uh, flying ruck entry from Norman, the legitimate tackle. Um, I, I saw it was on the 30 on your link, Matt. It was the 37 minutes 47 seconds, I think it was, where I tried to be creative and do a switch with someone and someone left me hanging down. I exposed my ribs and he took the invitation and uh, and gave my uh, my ribs a bit of a wake up, which. Uh, yeah, which which wasn't fun, but thankfully it was just uh, I think a few pop cartilage wasn't that more than any breaks, but that was one memory one memory I uh, I had from the game and the other. Let, look, let's name names. Those, I think that was Jason Little that didn't come back inside you there. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember being under the goalposts and look, I don't remember if it was after the second try, third try, fourth try, but I just <laughs> remember being there and it was only a couple of minutes in, so I think it was. Was it twenty-four nil after six minutes or eight yeah. minutes or something like that? And 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 people said to me, "Were well, you shell shocked?" And I and I, I don't think we were shell shocked. It was it was really bizarre. We were we were thinking we always had this view that the All Blacks could put points on you quickly. So it might they might score twenty-four points in six minutes or whatever it took them. We knew that we could score points. We just couldn't score points as quickly as they could. But you know, there was 70-odd minutes left, so you knew that you had plenty of time to come back. So there was there was no panic, no sort of shell shock. And, and I remember Eels uh, giving, you know, giving one of his um, uh, behind-the-goal behind line discussions and talks about how we've just got to get our hands on the ball. And uh, and then Bernie got his hands on, split them straight away, and Sterling was over for the first of his tries. And, and then you just felt like you were back in it. And then... We had a feeling every time we got the ball, we just had a feeling of momentum. People knew what they were doing. Um, and we just, you know, it, it felt quite well drilled. And I remember saying, I made a comment, I think it was to Greg Brown in the, in the dressing room, it might have been Peter Jenkins at the time, that we felt really well drilled that we had plan A, B and C. And if this doesn't work out, we'll go to B. If that doesn't work out, we also had a C. And we all knew what our jobs were. And it, it just felt very... You know, to use Benny DeHoen's term, very cohesive. We all felt 
in sync with one another. Uh, just on that, about the, the plans, um, one of the things that really stuck out to me was how much you guys ran back in at the All Blacks. Like, cons- you know, it was it was consistent. Very rarely went really wide. You know, there was the occasion, occasional one where Bernie, especially if he'd broken through, might pick a long pass or something like that, or it would be at the very end of a lot, lot of phases. But just the number of times you guys turned the ball back in and ran close to the ruck, um, was that... Was that part of one of those game plans? Uh, look, it may have been specifically for that one. I don't remember it specifically, but I do know that uh, uh, Chris Latham was the master of the inside ball. He loved getting that inside ball, and George Gregan loved giving them. Uh, as we remember, you know, he, was, he had a very good partnership with any of the loose forwards, uh, giving that inside ball. Um, you know, Jimmy Williams had, I saw last night, I remembered a few of those runs. He had some great runs before Toto Kepu came on. So, look, I think it would have been the view at the time that we could go through them as opposed to go around them. If we start to try and go around them, that's more their game than ours. So try and try and break them up the middle somehow. And, uh, you know, there were some pretty effective pick and drives, um, I noticed. But I, the one thing that really stood out to me watching it last night was how quick the ball was. So the, the ball presentation, if you look at some of the some of the, uh, I guess, the people taking the ball up, the ball presentation was really crisp. It was out. It was out in front, and something I do like about the All Blacks, and they still they're still better at this um, than others, or you know, depending on how you look at it, they actually let teams play, and they don't try and spoil. Some of the other countries try to spoil your ball. The All Blacks are actually happy to let you play, and that night they let us play, and we had really quick ball, and whoever took it up, and then it was just gone. George was straight on it, and it was gone again. So you're just shifting that point of attack so quick that it was hard for defence to readjust and that was the same for both teams. So I thought I thought both teams were getting some pretty good quick ball and obviously they had they had that huge advantage at the start where um, you know where where they bust us open a few times. But uh, it was you know after that initial madness at the start it, it really did settle down. But I still thought it you know, it you know the thing that stood out to me was just how quick and crisp that ball was. We're just uh, talking about that pace, I mean just jumping in on that bit. Because that one of the things that was was George Gregan, his pass there's no step. It, it was literally just, you know, just, just pick and pass, um, and it really just played into that, just keeping it fast, like you say. I was just going to say on the other side, I'd forgotten how, you know, Mertens has always had that sort of reputation as a, a kicker, but he really gets his back line going forward. He, he always takes the line, you know, takes the ball forward before he distributes to. I thought that was a, a big factor in that All Blacks attack as well. Yeah, well, he was he was probably wrongly pigeonholed by some as a as a kicking five eight. I mean, he was a great kicker, I think, and it might have even been with well, that year. It might have been ninety nine where he kicked, I think, nine from 10, 27 points or something, um, to beat us over over in Christchurch. But he could run the ball really well. He uh, he, he got his back line going. I mean, even you know had that uh, ninety five World Cup. You know the the great ball that Joni used to get. He used to, he got that backline humming, and and he always did it really really well. And I remember at the time it was you know there were two schools of uh, of people in New Zealand. Some supported Merton, some supported Spencer. They were both really gifted attacking players. We always thought Merton's uh, got these outside people running uh, really well and played them into the game extremely well. And he didn't overplay his hand. So um, one 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 from me. Um, so you're in that game marking up against, I think it was Alana Yeremia, I, I, I seem to remember, or Alatine, I can't remember which was which in the, in the centres. Um, you know, in that 
era of All Blacks, we tend to focus on on sort of Marshall and Mertens and then Lomu um, and potentially Jeff Wilson or, or, or whoever else um, on the wings, but never that centre pairing. I mean, in your career against the All Blacks, what, what, who was the hardest opponent you, you lined up against and, and um, uh, in that outside centre or inside centre role? Yeah, so that that game and around I think around that time it was Alami Ramir was the uh, he was a thirteen and Peter Alatini for that game was twelve. Uh, we played against a few, um, but uh, probably looked the hardest. Two different players in different eras, but I started against Frank Bunce, who who was probably you know right at the top of his game when I first first came on and I had my first couple of games and, and years against Frank. And then there was a bit of chopping and changing, um, you know, and it took Tana a little while to get used to that 13 role. I always thought, you know, I always thought he was a great winger, and then um, he he took a little while to adjust to 13. But by you know after a year or two, I thought he was a great outside centre, and uh, he really started. We had you know we had a uh, more in the Wallabies at the stage that uh, we weren't so so much after. Um, uh, uh, what would you call popping passes, so keeping the ball alive. It was really quick recycle ruck ball um, was what we were what we were trying to achieve. Where Tarnal, I remember, he he sort of created that whole you know offloading game um, in rugby. It was obviously prominent in rugby league, but um, you know Kefu was good at it for Australia. Um, but we were it was really drilled into us at that stage that um, we really don't want that um, to be a feature of our game. We want quick ruck ball and that. Um, and Tana sort of changed, I think, the, the way that, um, you know, certainly the All Blacks and then I think any team after them, they've, they've started to do that a hell of a lot more and seen how effective it can be. Herbie, you, you talked about your hit from Maxwell and it's, you know, the joy of watching this game. I guess it's what it's about is remembering those little moments that you'd forgotten about. And, you know, I'd forgotten that little went off at one stage with I think it was a head knock and, and Kafe came on and then... Larkin looked really dodgy, Was um, hurt his knee and he looked like in a whole lot of trouble. And then and then, um, Little was coming back on and he came on for you. And the look on your face was the dirtiest I've seen you. Um, I, I, I thought that I didn't realise you'd been injured, but can you, having seen it last night, can you remember that feeling? Was it all just the injury, can you recall? Yeah, I look. I'd never, even if I felt it, I would never display um, disappointment at at going off um, because I, it just didn't fit into everything in that team at that time was drilled in team first, team first, not individual. So I'd never, even if I felt, I would never show that. Um, so it was, it was just. I thought that I was going to be out for a long period of time, and and given that I'd, uh, you know, I thought I'd, I'd had to battle pretty hard to to get that 13 jersey. I thought the last thing I need is a, is a long injury. And I thought I busted my ribs and I was out for a long time. And uh, and I was dirty about that. that the, the injuries used to really annoy me because you'd, you'd get to a certain point and then something would go wrong and and uh, and then you might you might lose your you know you might lose your jersey if you give other people an opportunity. So no, it certainly wasn't certainly wasn't any being dirty about going off because I was I remember I was struggling to breathe at that stage and I was really struggling and I was talking to the doctor, um, letting him know that I don't know how much you know, I'd done it. I did it just before half time and uh, obviously had a bit of magic sponge work to keep me going, but it, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't feeling great. 
Um, and that's all I remember. And I just remember walking off thinking, thinking I was going to be out for quite a long time, and uh, and I wasn't very happy about it. And it was sore, but it ended up it ended up just being popped uh, rib cartilage, and uh, and I was you know I wasn't out at all. Um, we'll finish up soon, Dad. So thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. Just one more question about the crowd. It, it's it was sort of in the end one of the focal points of the game with 109,000 people and the sort of wings of Stadium Australia, which were out then, and the athletics track. I mean, how did that experience compare? Does that stick out to you at all in looking back on your career in terms of of crowd? I mean, because looking at it back on the on the uh, footage, it does seem to be um you know incredible considering where you know what a what a good crowd is considered today and and then just yeah the little quirks of john williamson and those other things that were so sort of big at the time mm. oh great memories i mean at the time you don't I, I didn't think anything of it at the time other than what a great atmosphere and oh we've got to sell out crowd great and as a player you don't i can't speak for everyone i didn't focus on too much on that it didn't play too much into my psyche around how I approach it, but you certainly appreciated having a, a big vocal crowd, and you love the fact that uh, so many people. It was the it was the talk of the town. So many people wanted to go to the game, and then they were buzzing after the games. And it, it kind of we became a bit sport because I think we'd go over to New Zealand and we'd get it there. We'd go to Africa, and um, it was always a sellout in Africa. It was always a sellout at Twickenham. Um, so it kind of just became the the norm. You'd expect it. You'd be really disappointed if. Uh, if a test match against one of the big nations wasn't sold out. And that was just happened to be when that stadium had that capacity. Um, and I'd, I'd actually forgotten that that crowd was for that game. I, I remembered playing in front of that crowd, but I didn't remember it being that, that particular test. So I only realised that last night when I had a look at it. So, uh, so look, very, you know, it, yeah, great to, great to be a part of, great to look back on. But I'd be lying if I said at the time it was, you know, it was something that we talked about a hell of a lot going into it. it. It just was one of those, you know, it was almost don't let the noise of the crowd um, distract you and make sure you take in the good energy, but don't take in the, uh, make sure you don't, uh, or you can hear the calls because I'm deaf in one ear. I, I was always struggling in those big matches. I used to worry about, am I going to be able to hear when they're calling? Um, and, uh, and that, Look, that was certainly a noisy game, but not as noisy as some of the uh, some of the British line tests. You know, one I remember playing, particularly the one in Melbourne in the indoor. I think it's called Marble Stadium now, but uh, playing indoor there, I couldn't hear a thing, and uh, <laughs> makes it quite makes it quite difficult. Uh, Herbie, mate, we're going to let you go. Really appreciate that, and I reckon we'll get to a few of those other games that you participated in that generation, particularly that Lions series. But, Dan, really appreciate you spending uh, that sort of 15 minutes with us and helping us reminisce one of the great times and launching this sort of new series of Green and Gold Rugby podcasts um, and reminding us what what a great period of rugby we were blessed to, to watch in that sort of late 90s to early 2000s. No problem, and uh, and well done, gents. For I think people right now, particularly rugby fans, are, are looking for some some good news. So well done, and and thank you for continuing to promote the game. We are going to need a lot of help, and uh, not just us, but but all sports and society. It's going to be a tough time. So I think uh, if you can let people escape into a into a happy time for ten minutes, half an hour, an hour, that's uh, time well spent. So thanks for the work that you guys are doing as well. Just, just saving the world one podcast at a time, Herb. 
<laughs> You'll be there for a while then. <laughs> thanks, Herbie. All right, well, there we go, Herbie. Uh, fantastic stuff from uh, one of the actual combatants on the night. Uh, yes, he was watching it for the first time for a while. Um, we did the same this week, and I think a lot of other people have now that Fox Sports is replaying it. Uh, it's perfect time for this podcast, in fact. Um, from the game itself, uh, Matt, <laughs> just your general, ex- you know, general experiences of watch- re-watching that game, what was your, your overall thoughts before we sort of pick out some of the highlights? Oh, look, it... It was, I mean, the, the thing that really struck you, I think Herb talked about it in that little section just now, was just how any team can give up three tries against the All Blacks in, what was it, um, you know, in sort of like, uh, it was it was 24-0 after eight eight minutes, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, how, how you do that against any All Blacks team and then still come back and look so composed and look like that had just never happened. Um, is is just quite remarkable. And um, it was really interesting to hear him talking about how they had plan A, B and C, where we haven't had more than one of those <laughs> for, for, for quite some time. And obviously that's what it takes to beat the All Blacks, right, um, to, to be able to do that. Um, and then, you know, you know, we try and talk about turning points. I don't know if you guys are either going to have one of those for this match because I can't give you one. Like, it just, it just you know, kept going and kept see- just kept seesawing and... Um, just the frenetic pace of it. I mean, there are some key elements to the game, I think. And um, actually, I haven't told you, boys, but I, um, I've actually got a bit of a tip-off from the game line um, analytics um, and from our friend Benny Darwin there, who gave me a bit of a tip-off on some of the key factors in this match and why it ended was up it, the way it did. Was it when he came on as a replacement late in the game? <laughs> no, funnily enough, it wasn't. He wasn't trying to say that. Um, well, look, I, I might as well, I'll, I'll drop it down. No, his his whole point there was um, was what was really interesting. Actually, was he was saying if you have a look at that, both nines and tens um, had both spent a, a lot of time together, and it was especially yeah. obviously Gregan and, and Larkham, but that the um, the other connections between the tens and the inside backs hadn't. Um, and he's like, and if you look at a lot of the important scores in the game, it's where you see misalignment between in defense between that 10 and 12 or 10 and 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you see that in the first try where Larkham goes through. Um, and you and you can see how they they're not def, they're not defending in line. Mertens comes a bit up a bit too much. Um, uh, so and I think it's um, uh, the the the, the uh, New Zealand thirteen Aramea um, who's back a little bit, and that's where um, Bernie goes through. But yeah, that was one of the things that he talked about, and he he also talked about um, you know the number of the sort of I think it was the Hurricanes outside backs um, with yeah. uh, with Lomu and those guys, and at the beginning of the match when they kept managing to to feed that those guys, they were absolutely cutting a muck, um, and it uh, yeah. So he was talking about that, and when you look at the shape of the game, when he kind of pinged me that, and then I had a look at the game, I was like, oh, yeah, you could actually see, you know, that's, that's, that was a really big uh, influence on its shape. When you watch a game now, um, you know, on replay or something, you find you can press fast forward quite a bit, you know, when there's a stoppage, you go, okay, well, I'll zoom forward a minute here and we'll be on our second scrum reset. Um, and, you know, I'll still be able to get back in and not miss a thing. This game, you couldn't do that. You know, you, you would you would go and... and that was a part of the game as well, that even the lineouts and the scrums, they would restart almost instantly. You know, everyone would just get in, bang, and we and we and we'd go again. 
Um, and so there was, you know, you got every second of those 80 minutes because there was just very few stoppages. Um, and, you know, it made the game flow so much better. But it, it's, the, it's the most amazing sort of uh, swing of momentum um, in the game and then back and then that second half where they just basically settled down like two prize fighters and just were slugging each other um, and and the game sort of calms down in some way but still that last 10 minutes um, where, where you know we go in I think it's where we're three points down or four points down and we score that try through Jeremy Paul and 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 you know I, if anything to me that's that's the question I pose to you as a, as a general question at this I suppose are we starting at the end but did we bottle that game? Should we have won that game? You, you look back at it now in those last four minutes where we just keep kicking it back to them, um, admittedly out of our own 22, but you feel like we, we might have almost fell apart in the last two or three minutes there to, 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 to give the All Blacks that, that final try. I, I had a Herbie moment with that. I thought when Andrew Walker came on, I said, oh, I remember this. He comes on and has a cracker and kicks... You know, kicks us, clears some space and makes some great ground. It does has a really big impact on this game. He didn't. He had a shocker. And his, no, his defense, he didn't. Yeah. His def- yeah. But I, I, there was another replay match in Fox Sports, which was the one the year after that, that Matty Rogers scores late and Matt Burke scores to conversion. Walker came off the bench then and had a cracker. Yeah, massive kicks, clearing kicks. Walker was terrible and, and, and um, was found out in defence. And I think that caused that bit of an overlap with Randall going over the top to Lomu at the end because Little had to come in to protect Walker. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a massive call to that bottle. That, I mean, I, I, it's, it, I'd even in factored that, Hugh. What do you, uh, Matt, what do you think? That well, one? I mean, it, like in the – my memory of it was Lomu goes over in the corner and then it's, it's whistle. I'd forgotten yeah. there were those. There were those. Back. I forgot yeah. there was those missile those, those minutes to go, and including like a that was I think our third um, kickoff that didn't go ten. Yes. Um. And, and yeah, it's the final kickoff doesn't go ten, and that stuffs yeah. the whole thing. Um. And you yeah, you just kind of think in that sort of seesawing game where whenever we got the ball, we managed to you know to to kind of get through them. You got to say that yeah, we should have been close. The other one was we left a lot of our goal kicking was woeful. Yep. Um, I think we missed at least two penalties that were gimmies, um, and um, and a conversion or two. So um, yeah, we we I think we definitely left a lot of a lot of points out there as well as obviously they just got the bounce of the ball for those first three tries or so. I remember I mentioned uh, Mortlock's point scoring record early, and I remember it being remarkable. But I it was also significant because he did miss a lot of kicks. He you know he was sort of even some of those big games he was getting a lot of points. He was kicking five from. 11 sort of thing, um, yeah. still getting points. Let's break it down a bit further, guys. Let's let's chunk it down, and I think the obvious one is let's chunk that, that first 24 points or six minutes. Incredible start. I mean, Australia barely touched the ball, and, and I think they might have touched it for 0.4 of a second just long enough for Latha to tap it up to um, the, the – was it a market – charging through to score a try it was it was an unbelievable start by the, the all blacks just it was sort of perfect all black rugby did, yeah did we do anything wrong that was my my thing is is um actually can i can i pause you there for a second sorry reg because we're going back to start we've actually got to go back to the start and i've got a John question Williams. that i want to pose yeah. before okay waltzing matilda yeah. We sort of remember that with a bit of misty. I don't remember Watson Matilda, but you look back on it now, and it didn't. Ha- was it was it good? Was it ever good? Um, I, I don't know. Everyone sort of begrudge looks to be begrudging it. It's it's hardly a far up song. 
I don't know. It doesn't come too well on the footage. But but isn't its point the opposite? And I must admit, I was at the game at Stadium Australia in 99 before the World Cup, which we won 28-7. And I think that was the first time maybe John Williamson was there. And it was pretty cool there to be part of that 100 and whatever thousand. I think it was the opposite of a psych-up song. It was strategically put there after the Harker to make the All Blacks cool down because we were in our track suits. Um, the All Blacks were sort of bare-skinned. They'd do their haka, fire up, and then we'd just huddle around in our track suits, sing the song again, they'd cool down, um, and then we'd kick off on our terms. Yeah. No, it was, it was a, yeah, there was, Walt, yeah. I th- uh, and he, because he, obviously he does the, uh, he did the anthem and then Waltzing Matilda, so you've got all of that. And obviously it comes back towards, this is the second half we kind of use it as well as a kind of a run-in. Yeah. Um, but it definitely united the crowd and, and I think probably got them being a bit more vocal. But look, if, we, if, if we're going to go back and just before we get in, the other thing that watching this video stirred up in me last night and sort of some deep, deep scar tissue memories um, of when I started watching this this replay was of <laughs> Murray <laughs> Murray Mexted's commentating. Oh my god, I'd yeah. forgotten I'd forgotten what a dead shit that guy is. <laughs> by far the worst commentator I have ever ever listened to. And you forget he commentated forever. Him and TJ, yeah. it went I don't know what was that like a 10, 15 year reign yeah. um, where they had every one of those tests and um, Super Rugby games just blatantly biased blatantly biased so if you haven't watched the game yet guys and you're watching this as a warm-up what i want you to do is play a drinking game and um i want you to drink whenever in this match murray max said either defends norm maxwell and and says indefensible (laughs) i can't understand what he's talking about like you know when when maxwell gets hit twice lazy running what's this lazy running thing never heard of it before Uh, sort of thing whenever he has a shot at andre watson just going mr watson what what are you doing mate yeah pedantic mr watson oh my god and then the final or when he defends uh lomu in defense so like whenever Jonah Lomu actually does something in defense, he's like, Oh look, brilliant, isn't he? He's not he's not stuffing up again. Like it's based there's obviously a sort point in there. Um anyway, any one of those three things happens throughout the match. Um, but oh my god, the man who's dead from the neck up, Murray Max dead, I'd I'd, for, <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about him and it all came flooding back. But uh, but, but but taking it back to what you said about had yep. they your question there, Hugh, which was had they made yeah. a mistake. They, I tell you, one person had made a few, and that was Saint Latho. Like, yeah, um, you know, like at, yeah, the first one where like uh, little charges down Merton's, um, Latham grabs the ball and then just tries to pop it because there probably is a bit of space there. But that's where Yumanga comes through and scores. Um, the next one, they go wide um, very quickly to Lomu, and he just literally goes over the top of, don't get, you know, a bunch of people, but I think number one is Latham. Um, and then that's, you know, that's their kind of 14 points up. Um, so, yeah, in three minutes, you've, yeah. you've been involved in two tries. <laughs> but yeah, St. Latho wasn't deified until a few years later. This was still that time when he was a little bit um, ropey. You know, he was brilliant at Super Rugby, still wasn't consistent um, in uh, in Test Footy. Remember the next year he started the first Test versus the Lions. Um, and, uh, you know, again, 
missed Jason Robinson badly and then was sort of relegated after that. So it would still be a few years until he... It wasn't even until after the 2003 World Cup. He was still sort of a bench player or the reserve player up there. It was not until sort of 2004, 2005 that he made that position on his own. But he, yes, he was uh, he, he was at the end of it a little bit. But but what a what a confrontation from the start. It's, it's a great point by Benny Darwin. That, that was an all-Hurricanes combination. Aramia, Lomula, Marga, Cullen. I, I, I can't remember where Peter Alatini played, but... I can remember again watching this thinking, oh, I remember that bloody Alatini. Every time he played the Wallabies, he tore us up. I never thought much of him elsewhere, but he, whenever mm. he played the Wallabies, he tore us up. Yeah, I mean, I mean that first eight minutes, and they they commentated on the in the in the in the game was that you know apart from the time when Latham gets the ball and then hands it back to Yamanga, um, for the first eight minutes we do not touch the ball. No. Apart to, like you know, apart from game. kicking it back to them, yeah, yeah, absolutely it's, unbelievable. Just possession. Can we talk about my moment of the match? I mean, you, we all have sort of aspects of the match, and mm. um, Murray Kinsella was was had also obviously come across this match and was setting out some gifts for this. This is my memory of the match. It's the first time the Wallabies get their hand on the ball, and Larkin, as he does, goes his way through, full speed, almost off balance, and delivers that amazing left to right pass perfectly in front of Mortlock to race away to score. That was an amazing piece of skill, but considering where it was in the game um, and um, sort of what was in front of them, it was just that's that's the thing that stands out for me. It's it's the definitive like a moment, isn't it, yeah. Reg? I mean, in so many ways, you could just sum his whole career up by that sort of what is it, five seconds? Because there's no gap in the defence there. No. It's not like he. It, it's it's literally two All Blacks just don't tackle him. He just they just for whatever reason look somewhere else and he just runs through like like he's just wandering through the park. Um and and then of course that beautiful pass. It's it's that it's that burst of pace that he looks like he's sort of gliding. Somehow nobody touches him. And and that was the memory of watching Larkin, wasn't it? Where he just He'd take the ball to the line and you'd just be expecting him to be crunched or and then all of a sudden you'd blink and he'd be on the other side as if he'd sort of moved yeah. through a wall or something. Literally you know? ghosted through, yeah. Yeah. So and, and then that's that beautiful pass and then that, that does in, in you know, instantly swing the momentum back and and, and you know, yes, it's only twenty four seven at that point, but you go, hang on, there's a lot of time left in this game. And even you can hear in the New Zealand commentators, you know, normally if if something like that happens a with the current All Blacks and the current Wallabies, you know that they'd go, okay, well, you know, you got one try, good on you, but you know, we'll see you in see you in 70 minutes, sort of thing, or whatever it is. But you know, the New Zealand commentators were already nervous at that point. You know, it it, it was it was telling, going, you know, geez, they're behind the goalpost saying we can't let these guys back into the game because we know what they can do to us, kind of thing. Yeah, they actually had a bit of respect, respect um, back then, which was great. But I tell you, there was a couple of things that came through to me then at that point in terms of just what rugby was like back then. Um, and there was a few, I think a lot of it was around the breakdown. Um, so like just after there was a time when Wilson, um, you know, is, you know, manages to get all, you know, get all over the ball. He doesn't roll away. He gets rucked. Um, and, you know, um, Andre Watson just kind of goes, Oh yeah, there you go. Let's call it a scrum <laughs> to the all blacks, you know, you know, sort of thing. And, and yeah. just the way that it was a little, lot more sort of self policing. Um, but the other thing that I noticed just was, um, it, I guess maybe because of this, the loose rules, it was like how many of the forwards were sucked into each of the rucks. So you know you know how the, you know how these days it's like 
it's so cynical. There's like how, how many, how few people can we commit from both sides so therefore we can string everybody out across the park? Well, what you noticed in here, and obviously, you know, and, and people like Williams would keep the All Blacks oh. completely, completely honest because if you didn't, if you didn't commit, he was going to pick and go, and he was going to be right through the middle of you really, really quickly. And so, you know, what you found was, and then, and then the Wallabies wanted that super quick ball, so they were going to commit bodies to make that happen, and you had to do that because people could lie on the wrong side if they wanted to. So suddenly, you had a lot of bodies in and around the ruck. But what that meant was, when you looked wider, it was just backs and. Just just backs in a lot of space. Um, and it just made it a completely different game um, rather than this, you know, just two lines running into each other, um, which we've turned into this over structured. It just looks so much better as a game and as, to watch, um, in, in my opinion, because of that. You know, it was just, and, and, and I mentioned, I said it in the thing to Herbie, what totally stuck out, stood out to me in this whole game was how much the Wallabies ran back at the All Blacks. Um, you know, really didn't try to go wide until the very last moment. Um, even when they're on the line, they just kept, you know, pumping it back at the at the edge of the ruck. It was it was it was quite quite remarkable. And that was typified when they actually brought David Wilson off pretty early in that second half. Like then they brought Todd Kefo on. So Kefo was sort of warming up from the bench, ready to come on. We thought, okay, you know. He must be taking Williams off. That's a big call. Williams has been sensational, but they brought Kefu off. So no flyer, just three big bashes um, in the back row just to make metres, or at least Kefu and Williams, just three, two absolute metre eaters. And you're right, it was just because the ground was to be made around that rock. Mm, that was amazing. But um, going on to the next points, there was something that just um, stood out to me in watching the replay, actually, which I'd never noticed before, but... Though the next, I think it's the next two, yes, the next two tri tries from Australia um, are actually very, very similar. Or they, they both come off the same line-out move. So it's, I think the line-outs are pretty funny. There's, it was basically no surprise that they're going to lift Eels at two in the middle of the line-out and he's going to get it every time. Mm. Um, but then what they do is Gregan would take the ball, go wide, but then ship it back inside. The first mm. time it's back to Williams and he basically yep. goes straight through the All Blacks line out and gets taken down just like a, a metre short. Um, and then they go really wide to Mort like he's on a really good hard line yep. um, and Lomu goes nowhere, goes nowhere near him. And then the next one, um, you've again, you've got Eels at two, Gregan takes it and works it back to the middle of the life, um, line out with a flick pass to Connors, who, who gets through about um, 10 metres or so. Um, and then, then you've finally got Latham who goes over and it's 24-19. And mm. I think that to me gels with what Herbie was saying was we had our plans you know, we knew what we were going to do when we had the ball and, and where we we're going to do it and how we we're going to do it. And it was, yeah, it was um, just looking back on that, you thought, ah, oh, I could start to see how you guys kind of all put this together. But, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Good pickup. I didn't pick up that, that second or that third try, the late they try from the same movie. Move. What, what I did pick up was the dominance of that Australian line-out. Eels was obviously superb. I mean, and this sort of reiterated that. This was a great lesson just to re-recall how, what a fantastic athlete he was as well as how much quality there was in across both teams but Eels has worked on the line at and you know like you said they all knew who was getting it and they're they're targeting him but he he got the ball consistently on the flip side the all black line out was atrocious <laughs> was, was yeah. terrible and then you chuck in mark connors who you mentioned who's i think's sort of very unheralded in this team he didn't play a lot but i think and we'll see him if we do the next test soon is 
his work at number two in the lineup on the defensive read was was superb. But God, he didn't need a lot of help because Oliver was 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 horrendous. Yeah, he was. Well, it's funny. I've got two lines on my notes here that you just hit. His first is question: What happened to the All Black lineup? And then the line below, which is underrated game from Mark Connors, because I thought he was. Um, <laughs> In defence, actually, made some really big plays, including, I think, a really important tackle on Jonah Lomu. Um, my point, Matt, to take it back to just a general discussion around the game and what's changed to now, and, and again, not to be overly critical, but one of the things that I think is a factor is just that defence wasn't very good across the board. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, how many of the tries were caused by what these days you would, you would call a pretty soft missed tackle? Um, and there was a lot of them in the game. Um, I remember, you know, Chris Latham at one point um, went on a run where he broke a couple of tackles, and it was Tane Randall and Ron Cribb, you know, two back rowers, all back back rowers, and they slip off Chris Latham, who is, you know, not, not a big guy at all. Um, they slip off Chris Latham, and he's not doing much in terms of his footwork. And so, yeah, I think these days that type of thing is, is, um, is you know, just not not going to fly as much. And maybe that was the case, uh, you know, about the, the advent of professionalism and, and the, the fact that the attack was so well developed, but they, those defensive systems and that defensive accuracy might have still been playing catch up, which is why the game is in some ways so attractive because both sides can attack and they can play this at times what Harlem Globe tried to style attacking with offloads and angled runs and flick passes. Um, but, you know, their standard of defense was still pretty poor across the board. Yeah, what what you see is, um, and I think that's where our game plan works in this match, is when they run back towards the ruck, it's a mess. Like, there's just people everywhere. And, you know, whereas these days, everyone knows exactly where they're going next, you know, and they're going to get into that line, get up into that line quickly. And, you know, we, you know, these days, if you were Latham running back against that line, you'd be like, oh, my God, there's a brick wall. Where do I go? In those days, it was like a, I don't know, it was like a pickup sticks, right? There was just people everywhere and there was just no system to it. Um, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's probably maybe it's less about the people or the athletes because they, they were, like you said, like those guys were amazing athletes. I just think that it was more what the next point you made, which was about the systems. I think the systems just weren't there, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I don't uh, want to have a pod shot at players. Like mm. uh, these are all incredible players, um, yeah. but yeah, it's it's that system element that was clearly easy to relatively easy to break down. Yeah. So you know, we talked about that first try with Larkham throwing that right pass and we also talk about those attack structures particularly the change in the point of attack the other critical player I thought in that was Gregan and his and you mentioned the, the conversation with Herbie his his quickness to, to pass and deliver his change in the point of attack and, and even that pass to Mortlock in, in that second try Mortlock's second try just drew the defence held it up beautifully for Mortlock to charge onto but he was astounding this game I, I thought you know, I'll, I want to gush more about Larkin later, but I just thought Gregan w- was superb, and his um, his leadership in terms of directing the, the attack was just first class. Mm. The one thing that I found funny about him though was um, in that in that in the uh, Jeremy Paul try that we'll come to, when yep. Gregan makes that break, he seems to be doing everything but to try and score a try. <laughs> <laughs> he he, kind of, he he runs sideways about three different ways to try and I mean he's trying to find a runner clearly which is I guess you would say is the right thing to do but he's also one hell of an athlete and there's not a lot of people in front of him I think I think a Will Genier in that situation just would have put his ears back and probably would have made it 
Um, but uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to take away no, from no, no. The, the game that he the, the game that he had was just yeah, it was just quite. But I just I got mesmerised by his pass, um, mm. and I think we've talked about this how it changed maybe a bit later on. But it was literally there was no step at yeah. not. Not not two steps or three steps. They're not. There was not one step. He didn't even take a step before he passed. He just picked and and it went. It was um. It was quite amazing. And you forget his defence too. He made a tackle on Jonah Lomu, oh, yeah. which I think was at twenty four nil, which yeah. wasn't in a, or might have been at twenty four seven, and it was an, in itself a turning point because yes. you know he misses that and Lomu scores, and that is game over at that point in time, or you'd, you'd dare say it would be. Um, but he he manages to get. Lomu to the ground, um, and I, I seem to remember we turned the ball over relatively soon after. Um, that was yeah. incredible. Yeah, exactly right. I, I was I was watching that specifically. Okay, these guys are up 24-0 now. What is the turnaround? What's the point that we get back in the game? And I think you're exactly right. It was that Grigan tackle that stops Lomu from putting the All Blacks over for another time, and, and, and that's when finally we get a ball, and soon enough, Larkham's um, putting him all over. And you also, while we're on that subject... You just forget how good Jonah Lomu was too. Yeah. You know those. Yep. You forget how fast he was and just how much he looked like he was playing a different game to everyone else when he had the ball in full flight. He, he, and there was just no hope of bringing him down. It was like a an 18 year old playing with 14 year olds. It, it 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 it's just phenomenal to to watch him like that. Even and actually my my question was at the time looking at because why didn't the All Black pass it to him more? It seemed like he was so underused in that game. Every time he had the ball, he made ground. Um, you know, I feel like if he, if if he's playing today into that same level, like a, like someone like probably Nadolo, where you'd be using him one out off the ruck, you'd be throwing him on set plays in the back line, you'd be giving him the ball as much as you possibly could. Even a bit like what the Waratahs used to do with Nayara Voro. It's just well, he here you go, ten meters out, have the ball and just do your thing. Mm. The one thing that I did notice though there was it felt a bit like the. Uh, Waratahs with with Izzy Falau, which like so much of the game was kind of I don't know I wonder if so much of the game was built around him and if and if it's, and if that's not working then what is um yeah I, I just remember because he was such a weapon for them and um, if for whatever reason either because we had the ball or whatever it was that he wasn't in the game it yeah it, did, it didn't seem to work for that All Blacks team at the time. Yeah, the other one they yeah, attacking weapon I, who I thought we sort of harnessed pretty well was Christian Cullen. Obviously, he was involved in a couple of the yeah. early ones, but he he wasn't as dominant as he you know we remember him obviously being on many other matches. But we managed to keep him out of the game after that first six minutes. So so guys, so, so then to get it to fast forward it then through that first half. Yep. After 16 minutes in, New Zealand had had 71 possession. Uh, percent uh, possession um, and we're 24 seven up by the end of the half we had had 59 percent possession and 63 percent of the territory it was it was an incredible turnaround um in in that one half and obviously you know went in 24 all and that was McQueen's game. I mean, his his game was a possession game, wasn't it? I mean, it was just about holding on to the ball. And I actually read a bit about from McQueen's biography, uh, One Step Ahead, in this book. And he, he sort of said that they, um, you know, the message kept going out, out after every try in that first six minutes. You know, stay calm, forget the scoreboard, establish our pattern of play. And it was just all possession at all costs. And eventually they did, and that's how they got back into that game in that first half um 
but also how they you know how they played their rugby it was just just how they how they they played the game how they won so many games um matt what about the second half other key moments um I kind of, I must admit, I kind of condensed it down. It was a little bit more seesawing, wasn't yeah, it, um, throughout yeah. that throughout that second half? That second it, half, yeah. It was. I mean, I think you guys said earlier on it was people kind of slugging back and forwards. I mean, you had some amazing, you know, Jeremy Paul comes on, the, the new hooker. Um, you had Kefu come back on, um, and you had Kefu come, both of them just after half time. Mm. Um, uh, then you saw Tony Brown comes on for Mertens about the 63rd minute. Um and yeah, look, I mean, I think the, probably the thing was, and when we all thought we had this kind of wrapped up, um, was, um, you know, just like, you know, like, because, you know, the All Blacks had come back um, through a try through uh, Justin Marshall, pretty much off the kickoff. Um, and Herbie, as he said, bought the dummy, um, <laughs> uh, you know, on, on that one. Um, and then they kind of rubbed it in with another penalty. So, um, so that kind of got it to like 2734. Um, We've missed we miss a penalty. Brown comes on for Mertens, um, and then the 74th minute, and I think this is probably when a lot of people thought we'd just done it again. Um, was you know George Gregan makes a break, seemed to go about halfway up the field, and eventually Jeremy Paul goes over in the corner. It's 35-34, um, mm. and and it's only you know it's you know six minutes left. Amazing, amazing. I remember I remember it so well, and. And you're exactly right. That's we all sort of thought. You know, that was it. That was enough. Nice and hands by Rod Kafer. I remember he he did a nice little uh, draw and, and flat ball pass to Paul as well. So he had a bit of an impact from the bench as well. Yeah. No, it was a uh, yeah. And then um, yeah, but you know, and then the it's, it, then I guess maybe the inevitable happened. Um, there did seem to be a few stuff ups though. I mean, I think as you guys said, there was just a few things where the Wallabies uncharacteristically for what they'd done for the rest of the match. Um, you know, kind of lost lost the ball a few times, and the All Blacks yeah. managed to re- retain possession down our half, and and uh, it, it was game over. Low moon in the corner in the 79th minute. I do remember seeing that all afterwards and thinking, you know, that's the type of tackle that Tim Horan would have made. You know, I know Larkham was there, and after the game, Larkham had, had it was remarkable. I think Gregan was close behind, but I, said, I was thinking that's the type of tackle Timmy Horan used to make in the in the corner, and it was, it was a shame he wasn't there. But you know, it was almost the perfect finish, despite it not being a Wallaby finish. You know, the superstar Lomu in front of a world record crowd, um, uh, and it probably set us up perfectly for the next game, which. We'll talk about. I, I, look, I just want to say a couple of key players. You, you've delved into some of the game. I, I want to go back to Larkham. I mean, uh, he was superb. I knew he was quality, and but this just reminded me how good he was. His kicking game was sensational. You know, he had as good a kicking game as as Liner, but with the the attacking game of a, of a Camp Easy and you know the, the the astuteness of Mark Eller, an exceptional game and the most physical fly half I've seen. To be honest, he was in everything. Um, and I also shouldn't mention Jay Roth. I, I, I always been a bit of a critic of Joe Roth um, and I, I'm tending to think maybe I was a little bit blinded because I thought he was pretty exceptional this night as well. He, he had some big moments and um, uh, uh, such a talented player and, and I thought he was exceptional too. Could mention many, many more and we've mentioned a few of them but um, uh, I had to mention Markham again. He was unbelievable. Well, And you uh, forget how often he handled the ball yeah. and that was the thing about watching that and Mertens too is you look back on it, and and that's why I think Australians have still got probably the, some ingrained sort of chip on their shoulder, if you can term it that way, about five eights and about how important they are. Even though 
in the game today, I think you'd say that they might not be that important. But we were brought up in this time where the 5-8 would handle the ball every mm. second phase and, and sort of craft things like Larkham did. He'd draw, you know, drift across field and draw people into his orbit and then throw a pass. And, you know, it's almost like a, a jazz, you know, uh, saxophonist. He's improvising as he goes along. He can see what's happening. And it's not it's not scripted. It's He can just sort of craft the game to, to what he wants to do. Um Whereas I don't think five eights are like that anymore. Um, no. I think it's it's very different. The, the other guy I think I'll shout out is one of my final comments for the night is is David Wilson. I thought was superb yep. in that first half, um, and he's probably unlucky to get hooked when he does because I, I, he he's just in everything and actually makes a couple of big turnovers, wins a penalty for us. Um, in in a time where we just needed to arrest that momentum, he's one of the guys that actually makes it happen as well as. Um, I think he. I'm trying to think. He he has a couple of really nice runs too. I'm, I'm trying to think. It's off the back of uh, he's uh, back of all back lineouts when they throw long. Um, yes, he has Merton, a couple of really nice moments. Merton's a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Merton's is again yeah. going back to my comment about defence. He's he, yeah. a tur- turnstile would be probably too kind to the turnstile. But um, yeah, that was um, th- yeah. He had a superb game. I thought. Yeah. Well, probably my I put my name checks to like Jim Williams. Yeah. Has an absolutely yeah. stonking game. The Incredible. number of meters he makes with those pick and drives where you don't even see it happen. He's just off and running. And you're like, where did that come from? Especially when, as they mentioned in the um, commentary, he was actually watch. He couldn't get into the to watch the game as a, I think, <laughs> like a club player the yeah. year before. Um, and there he is starring in this, you know, greatest game of all. That was. Um, that was quite stunning. Can I say something that might sound a little churlish though? It's like, considering he's, I think, probably rightly considered one of the best players we've ever had, and he does star in the lineout. I don't right. remember um, seeing. Um, I, don't, hey. I, I, yeah. I don't. I don't remember seeing much more from um, Mr. Nobody in that uh, game. I'm. 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 I'm going to put that down to a terrible YouTube that you <laughs> I won't stand for this. We'll end this podcast series right now, okay? No, no, look, he... he look, I, I, I think you'd be surprised. If you watched him, uh, and I kept an eye out for him because he's, cause, you know, he's the man, um, he does a hell of a lot of work in defence at the ruck. He is, his mobility is phenomenal. I, I was, All right. again... What an, an incredible athlete he was. Maybe, maybe we are. Uh, son of we, The jury, can, the jury <laughs> remains out until. Maybe, maybe we keep the jury out, Matt, until next week. I think next week's game might he might he yeah, might does, uh, might redeem he pop himself. Pop up and do something. Yeah, all he did was miss kicks in this game. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Look. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm treading on on holy ground there. So um, I think for all of us. So uh, no, amazing game. Um, hopefully everyone gets a chance to have a watch. And I must was have... it the greatest game? Final question to, before we wrap up. Was <sighs> it the greatest game of all time? <sighs> There's been some good ones, hasn't there? I mean, that South African, Australia, South African one had a sort of equally fast start and interchange between. I, I actually think the New Zealand England um, Rugby World Cup uh, semi final or quarter final, semi final last year was pretty damn spectacular. But for what it was, for that start by the All Blacks, for the comeback from the Wallabies, and for that Hollywood finish, let alone the number of legends you had on the field, probably more so from the Wallabies, uh, I, you know, I don't think I can go past it. I think I think you're right, Reg. And it's it's a bit like I don't know. It's 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 the White Album by the Beatles. Like, you know, yeah, rugby's yeah, at yeah. the top of its game in in, yeah. in Australia, and and 
and that's its magnum opus at the time. You know, like it feels right to say that as an Australian, from an Australian perspective, you know, that that is the greatest game of all time. Well, and just imagine if we'd won it like we should have, far out. Yeah, well, that's we right. Wouldn't, we wouldn't be discussing this point. This would have been a moot point. But <laughs> Bloody Andre yeah. Watson. Yeah, if he hadn't been so biased towards the Kiwis. Yeah. <laughs> All right, lads. Well, let's wrap it up there. Really appreciate your time, Matt and Hugh, and obviously to Dan Herbert as our special guest and to Nick in the booth. We are keen to do a series of these. I think we've already sort of given it away. Our plan is to do uh, this return match um, of this uh, this game, so game two, which was played over in New Zealand, actually in Wellington. Um, won't talk too much about it then, but we're going to have a look at that one next. Any other games you suggest, guys? They're, they're going to be readily available, hopefully on YouTube happy to take them on our Facebook page or our YouTube page or in the comments, oh, sorry, our Twitter page or on the comments to this uh, this blog uh, podcast that will be linked as well. Um, guys, thanks for your time. You, you enjoy that? Yeah, that was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good okay. fun, mate. Excellent. Well, to our listeners, stay safe out there, keep indoors, um, and uh, we'll hope to give you some bit of enjoyment over the next few weeks or months. And we'll catch you soon. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de Beer.